a pretty good job. We might let you come back up on stage again sometime. You know, it's, uh, it's fun. The Kaiser family, they, their traditions are fun. And just so you know, like, when we teach here and, and when we talk about the Bible, like, they really are a family that they hear it and they apply it to their homes uh, and to their home and to their life. Uh, months ago, I went to their house and they had a prayer teepee. And, you know, not a prayer room, but a prayer teepee. And they would go there and, and, and where they'd go in and just have a special time, dedic- a special place in their house where they would pray and they'd have pictures or they'd have prayers written up in there. And they, they look at how do we live out our faith? How do we put it in front of our kids? How do we do it and how do we talk about it all the time? And, and so it's been really fun just uh, watching the Kaisers just continue to grow and grow in their love for God. And so they are a great blessing uh, to me and, and to us as a church family. Uh, title today is The Purpose of Christmas, and if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to 1 John chapter 2, verse 29 is where we're going to be. Uh, this week and next week, we're going to look at a couple texts that you would not maybe typically think about for Christmas. I think typically when we think Christmas, we think... Um, we think of the first couple chapters of Matthew or Luke, where we're looking at the birth of Jesus, Mary and Joseph, maybe the Magi, and just some of those things uh, that are more typical of what we think of Christmas. But I want to remind you that the entire Bible is about the birth, life, death, resurrection, and return of Jesus. The only reason we have Easter is because there's Christmas. And the only reason Jesus will return again is because he came a first time. And so today, one of the things we're going to do is we're going to look at the purpose of Christmas. We're going to try to answer the question, why did Jesus enter into this world? And so if you have your Bibles, I invite you uh, to go ahead and stand, and we're going to read 1 John chapter 2, verse 29, and go to chapter 3, verse 10. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we, shall, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or know him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Let's pray. Father, today we look at the love that you have given us the love that you have given us that has made us your children. And Father, I pray that you would give us eyes that would clearly see your love and that we would love 
how you have loved us and that we would enjoy your love and that we would grow in thankfulness because of how you have loved us. Father, we thank you for your son who has come and because of him we are children of God. Lord, help us to understand this today that what happened at Christmas culminating at Easter, God has changed everything in this world. Father, we love you. Give us wisdom today as we look at your word. Help us to grow in our understanding and our joy and thankfulness of Christmas. In your name, Jesus, amen. You all may be seated. I've kind of broken up this text into three sections. We're going to look at the love of the Father, the work of the Son, and the life of the believer. So we'll begin with the love of the Father. John begins, chapter 3, verse 1, commanding us, and he says, Look! Look at the love the Father has given us. And that's what I want us to do today. I want us to heed this warning. I want us to look at the love the Father has given us. And so, what is this love the Father has given us? Well, what we see is that it is a love that has adopted us that we would be called children of God. So because of the Father's love, the love that we're supposed to look at, John says we are now children of God. And this is not only a future reality but it is a present reality notice then he says and so we are verse 2 he says we are God's children now so why is this so remarkable well if, if you know your Bibles if you've been reading then you know that the Bible clearly says that because of sin we are not children of God In fact, Romans 1, a a classic example, um, probably one of the more popular examples, Paul tells us that all of humanity is under God's wrath because we're sinful. And in Romans 3, we're giving this scathing description of humanity. This is a little bit what Romans 3 says. Paul writes, None is righteous, no one seeks for God, all have turned aside, together they have become worthless, no one does good, not even one. 1 John 1.10, if we just went back a couple chapters in the book that we're in today, chapter 1, verse 10, we read this. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. And so here's the point. You and I and everyone were born sinful. No one is exempt. And because we are sinful, we're under God's wrath, meaning we are not God's children. You've heard the phrase, uh, like father, like son. Um, Well, because we're nothing like God, um, we're not his children. That's how we're born. We're born nothing like God. In fact, the Bible says that we're more like the children of the devil, or that we are children of the devil, meaning we actively rebel against his law and his purposes. At this moment, you might be thinking, well, this is sure is a great Christmas message, I mean, a lot of times in Christmas messages, we're thinking shepherds and angels and manger scenes and a big bright star, and that's kind of what we do. But remember, this, this week and next week, we're kind of taking a, a different approach, and we're looking at some different texts that are very Christmassy, but maybe from an angle that we don't always think. Listen, the reason Christmas is such good news is because there is bad news. The reason one is so happy When a fireman kicks down their door, spraying everything in their house with water, is because there is a fire trying to destroy everything. And the reason Christmas is such good news is because there is bad news. And the bad news is we are not the children of God. And the good news is Christmas comes 
that we could be the children of God. And so what has happened? How have we gone from children of the devil to now children of God? And so that's where we go to the work of the Son. If you look at verse 5, we have a purpose statement here. It says, Jesus appeared to take away sins. Verse 8, we have another purpose statement. Jesus appeared to destroy the works of the devil. You'll notice in 1 John, he repeats himself a lot. He's always repeating. So Jesus appeared to do this. A few verses later, Jesus appeared to do this. He wants to make sure we understand his point. So what are the works of the devil? What are the works of the devil? In verse 10, if you go on down to there, we see that according to John, there's two types of people. There's the children of God and the children of the devil. And he writes, By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. So we see the children of the devil. They do not practice righteousness and they do not love the brothers. In verse 4, we see that they, they practice sin and that we see that sin is also lawlessness. And lawlessness, and when it says practice lawlessness, it's talking about the persistent disobedience to the law of God. So the works of the devil is the persistent practice of sin and disobedience. So, so here's the picture that John wants us to understand. You and I and all of humanity were characterized by sin and, and disobedience, meaning we, we don't love God, we don't praise God, we don't live a life that we want to honor God. We don't please Him. So let us go now, let's go back and look at the work of the Son. Why did He appear? To remove sin and destroy the work of the devil. So here it is. We are full of sin and the work of the devil is in us, meaning we practice disobedience and sin. And why did Jesus come? Why is there Christmas? To destroy the work of the devil. To remove sin. If sin is our slave master, then Jesus appeared as our conqueror. As the one who frees us from sin. Who takes the chains of sin off of us. He defeats our old slave master so that we would be free. That's Christmas. That's why he came. And so how does he accomplish this? So it begins at Christmas where Jesus, where Jesus enters into this world. And he comes born like you and me. Jesus comes as a man, but remember, he comes also as God. Jesus is 100% man, and Jesus is 100% God. Now, we talked about this last week, so, so here's a little quiz time if you are here last week. Does anyone remember... The two words we use when we talk about the union of Jesus' two natures, not Robert or Andrew. Andrew just taught this to the students, so you should like be on this. Hypostatic union. <laughs> Parents, children learn this stuff. Like, don't underestimate. Hypostatic union. Now, you're, again, if you use that, come let me know if you use that at lunch today. You, you should, like, get some type of prize or something. Um, hypostatic union is the fact that Jesus is God and he is man, and that's how he was born. That's how we entered into this world. And now this is important because we needed someone to stand in our place and receive the punishment that we deserve because we're sinful. Remember, God creates us. We sin against him. So we offend God by, by our sin. 
And because everything we do is sinful, our lives are offensive to God. And therefore, we deserve punishment. And because we're sinful, we're not able to actually pay off this debt. That's why we read in the Bible that our punishment is eternal. It's forever. And this is why Jesus' birth is so incredible. We needed a perfect human substitute. We needed someone who could stand in our place. The problem is you and I can't. I can't stand for you. You can't stand in my place. I can't help you get, under, get out of God's wrath. You can't help me because, well, we're sinful. It's kind of like you're covered in grease and you grab a greasy rag and you can't clean yourself off. You're just going to put more grease on you. Notice how the, our passage that we just read describes Jesus. Verse 29, he is righteous. Chapter 3, verse 5, in him there is no sin. Chapter 3, verse 7, he is righteous. Christmas is about the righteous one entering into this world. We needed the perfect human. We needed the substitute, the one who could actually represent us because goats and lambs are not a good substitute. Now, if you just turn back to chapter 2, verse 2, just go back to the left just a little bit. There we read that Jesus is the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Now, I love, and if you're new here, just so you know, our church knows what propitiation means. And so I can say, what does it mean? Wrath absorbed. We talk about that a lot because that is a very important word. You don't have to know all the theology words, but there's some that are just good. Well, they're all good, but there's some that you just need to be able to know and understand. And when we talk about propitiation, it's the fact that Jesus stood in our place and he absorbed the wrath of God that you and that I deserve, and he did it for us. He took the cup of wrath that you and I should have drank for eternity, and he went to the cross and he drank it for us. And he could do that. Because he's God. He could fully absorb the wrath of God for you, me, and the whole world. And when it talks about that he's also for the sins of the whole world, it doesn't mean he absorbs the wrath of God for every single person who will ever live. But what it means is everyone who will believe in him in the world, God has absorbed, or Jesus has absorbed the wrath of God for them that they would be saved. Isn't that good news? That's, crazy. That's why he had to come as human, 100% human. We needed the substitute, but we needed someone to be able to fully absorb the wrath of God. And only Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the God-man, the hypostatic union, 100% man, 100% God, could he do that? And so when we read in John chapter 3, verse 1, and he says, see what kind of love the Father has given to us, what is he telling us to look at? Or should I say, who is he telling us to look at? Who? A little confidence there. A little boldness. Who? Remember, when you struggle at your answer in church, the answer is always Jesus. Right? <laughs> Even little Caleb, my son, we do Bible time the other day. He just says Jesus. We're talking about King Nebuchadnezzar, and he's Jesus. I'm like, actually, that's, that's not the answer that time, Caleb. But he knows. Just, just say Jesus, and you're probably 90% right, or 90% of the time right. So when John is saying, look, 
You got to see this love the Father has given us that has made us His children. He's saying, I want us to look at Jesus. Let's look at the work of the Son of Jesus. Jesus is the love of the Father. Christmas is God's love breaking into this world through Jesus Christ so that you and I and all who believe in Him could be saved from our sins and made children of God. That's what we celebrate at Christmas. At Christmas, we're celebrating the extravagant, the amazing, the awesome, the lavish love of God. We're celebrating Jesus Christ, the Son of God, removing our sin. We're celebrating the fact that Jesus was born so that you and I could be born again. You see that he was born so that we could be born again. And so that's, that's what we're going to look at now. See, the love of God is not just a gift we stare at and we say that's pretty. I mean, think about it. Christmas Day. There's presents under your tree. Are you just going to stare at them? Well, those are nice. I like those. It's a nice bow. I try to explain that to your kids. We're just going to look at them this year. What are they going to say? Dad, that's not the purpose of presents. We, we open presents. Um, our Christmas, at Christmas, we don't just stare. We, God wants us to enjoy his gift. And that's why John's saying, look, see the gift. The gift of Jesus is also not the ugly sweater that you just kind of grin at. And you're like, thanks, knowing that you will never wear this. I mean, who got the ugly Christmas sweaters growing up? I, I just... Grandparents, I just, maybe you don't know this. Um, your grandkids, they don't want those sweaters. And if you buy them for them, we know that you do it to torture us. We know you do, do it. So we'd be all scratchy in those Christmas pictures. Um, I think my grandma finally picked on when we picked up on this, like when we were 12. And she never, ever, ever saw us wear them. And she actually made a comment, I've never seen you wear those. And we just kind of stared at her. Nope, we, we don't wear those. Um, but also, neither is the gift of Jesus like a new iPhone or a new car. I mean, those are great, but eventually what? They wear out. They need to be replaced. They need to be upgraded. The gift of Jesus is perfect. It's what we all need, and it changes everything. And so what we've done, the love of the Father, and we've seen the love of the Father is the work of the Son coming. And so the work of the Son has done something to you and me. It's done something to us who believe in Him. And so we're going to look at the life of the believer. And so we begin with the identity. So by faith in Jesus, meaning we believe in Jesus, we believe that He's the Son of God who has come to save us from our sins. He's the conqueror. He's freed us from the bonds of sin so that we could become children of God. We are now, by faith in Jesus, children of God. Again, not only a future reality, but a present reality right now. Chapter 3, verse 1. We are God's children when? You need to read it. We're God's children now. Chapter 2. Beloved, we are God's children now. Now we are God's children. When we believe in Jesus, meaning we experience, we experience the new birth, meaning we have been made new. That's what happens. Verse 29 says, everyone who practices righteousness has what? Has been born of him. Verse 9, no one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning. Why? Because he has been born of God. So when we have 
faith in Jesus, we're made new. We're told that we are born again. To be born again means that God's seed abides in us, meaning we're no longer under the wrath of God. We're no longer like our father, the devil, but we've been adopted. We've been transferred into a new household, into a new kingdom where the Father is now our Father. So now we share in the divine nature of God. So get this. Jesus comes at Christmas to what? To share in our humanity, right? So that we would share in his deity. You see that? And you can go to 1 Peter First Peter, Second Peter, I get confused. Chapter 1, it talks about, I think it's First Peter. We now share the very nature of God. Jesus came to share in our humanity so that we would forever share in his deity. So, when John says, look at the Father's love. Look at the Father's love, Jesus, who has made us a son also. Just as Jesus is a son, so as we are adopted into the family, we become sons. And this isn't like a masculine just type thing, and, but it's, it's, we're treated as sons of God. So that all that is Jesus, because he is the son of God, now becomes yours and mine also, because we are sons of God. So not only have we been given a new identity because of Jesus, but now we have new character. This is where we're going to go back to verse 9. Verse 9, I encourage you, memorize verse 9. In fact, just so you guys know, like, Andrew, you know who we've hired to bring in with our students, and, and he does an amazing job? He's, he's almost memorized the book of 1 John. The whole book. And so it's just kind of fun. So all, my office this last week, I'm like, Andrew, verse 9, tell me. <laughs> and, and he can do it, and it's pretty amazing. But he's memorized it, and it's cool. He's, but you might not memorize the whole book. Okay, I encourage you. That'd be pretty awesome. Memorize verse 9. Know verse 9. Because look, Let's look at this. We'll read it. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. Why? For God's seed abides in him. And he cannot keep on sinning. Why? Because he has been born of God. John boldly writes, you cannot keep on sinning when you have been born of God. So let's first just explain what this does not mean because it always raises questions. John is not saying that as believers we don't ever sin. That's not what he's saying. Rather, we no longer persistently, unrepentantly sin. So the verb practice in the Greek, it it means continually. It's a present active tense, meaning it's continually never stopping. So before faith in Jesus, we only, always, continually sin. Does that make sense? You get that? We only, always, continually sin. Even our greatest acts were sinful because they're not done from a heart that loves God. So this means the man that walks the older lady across the street every day of his life will have earned nothing before God because while that is a a great gesture, if it's not done from a transformed heart, for the love of God, and for the love of another through the love of God in them, it is not for the glory of God, and therefore it's sin. That's how the Bible talks about this. Everything we do is sinful until we've been born again. So even our good acts, they're good, 
And that's what we would call common grace, the fact that we don't all do everything as wickedly as we could all the time. But until we've been born again, we don't truly love one another because we've not known the love of God in us. So everything we do only always continually is sinful. But now, what does it say? Because God's seed abides in us, we live differently. Go back to verse 9. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. Why? The word for there tells us. This is why we've got to look at the, the way the sentences are in our Bible. They, they communicate truth. For God's seed abides in him. The reason we do not only always continually sin is because now God dwells within us. We now begin to live a life that pleases and honors God. I, I love to get up early in the morning. Like I am a morning riser. Andrew thinks I am sick. And, and you probably will think that I am sick. So growing up, like sleeping in, that is a waste of time. Like, <laughs> I've never, ever enjoyed like sleeping, unless you know you're just like worn out from a trip or something, but sun's up, I'm up. In fact, if I get up before the sun, oh, hallelujah, that is a good thing. Um, high school, I'd get up like 5.30 every morning, and I'd be like one of those guys who'd show up early at school, and we did stuff there, I know, nerd, right? And you're just thinking, oh, what a loser. I got up early, went to school early, serious problems. Um, now, I get up like 4.45, and it's beautiful, I know, like, no, Chantley knows, but he does it because of work. Like, I don't know if you do that by choice. Oh, he, he is a morning guy, I do appreciate this. Um, that's why we let you up here today. Um, but like, if I can get up before my alarm, it's awesome. Like, if I can turn it off before it goes, isn't that sick? Like, like you're just sitting there like, that's dumb. Like, the alarm goes off, and I'm like, oh, okay, I get, oh, I'm excited I get up. But, like, my dog came in at 4.40 the other day, and he wanted to go outside. I'm like, awesome, I get to stay up. It's Saturday. <laughs> and I'm like, this is amazing. I know. So I'm sick, and that's terrible. But here's the point. My oldest son, Ben, sun's up, he's up. In fact, if he can get up earlier and earlier, he loves, I mean, we put time, you cannot come out of your room till 7. Like, you can't, you can do whatever you want in your room, but do not come out. And guess what? Caleb, my youngest, just like him. They're just like, man. So in fact, 7 a.m., he comes out this morning. I'm sitting there by the fire. He's like, Dad, clock says 700. Like, I can come out now, right? Like, he just sits and waits and stares at the clock. I know I have sick kids. It's awesome. Um, but here's the thing. Remember what we said in the beginning. Like father, like son. So just as my, my, my children in many ways, do the things that I do. Now, my, my daughter, she's kind of taking more after my wife, and my wife has a gift of sleeping. It's crazy. Um, <laughs> um, but my, my, my boys, just like me in that way, they want to get up like father, like son. They, because I, I am, in a sense, in them, they now live like me. And now, just like Jesus, because now his, God's seed abides in us, we live like Jesus, who is the Son of God, and so because we've now been made sons because we're children of God, who do we live like? Like our Father, like Jesus. We live righteous. There's been a transformation. As he is righteous, so now we live righteous. Go back to verse 29. This is amazing. Like, just notice how, how John says this. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness is what? Has been what? 
born of him. So if he's righteous and you've been born of him, then you will be what? Righteous. Jesus is righteous. Therefore, those who practice righteousness have been born of him. We live like Jesus. Verse 6. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. If we abide in Jesus, and notice earlier, it's God's seed abides in us, so God abides in us, we abide in him. That's like the beauty of John. It's just this intertanglement of the divine and the deity, uh, the divine humanity. We abide, he abides. Um, No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. To abide in Jesus is to believe in him, is to hope in him, is to be born again in him. And if we do that, then we do not continually sin. Now again, we're not talking about perfection here. There are some Christians And some non-Christians, you say, well, to believe in Jesus means that you don't ever sin again, and they're kind of these holy rollers, and you know, you can't listen to any secular music, and you don't drive 36 in a 35-mile-an-hour zone, and and all that kind of stuff. Um, But the Bible doesn't say that we're perfect now, but we've been freed from the bondage of sin. Now we're able to live as God has made us. We're able to live as his son. We're able to live like the father in righteousness. Look at verse seven. One, uh, whoever practices righteousness is what? Is righteous as who? As he is righteous. I mean, do you see? I mean, this is what John does. He hits it to you here and then here and then here. He's like, do you get the point? He just repeats himself over and over. That's why sometimes the flow is a little bit difficult in John because there's so much repetition, but he does that because he so wants us to understand the point. We live like Jesus because we've been adopted in the family of God. And just as he is righteous, so now we practice righteousness. So what does this mean? Well, number one, it means we can have great assurance of our salvation. You can have great assurance of your salvation. Look at verse 28. John is writing so that when Jesus appears, we may have confidence and not shrink back in shame at his coming. He's like, I want you to be bold. I want you to be ready. I want you to look forward to it. Assurance of our salvation was one of the primary reasons John has written this letter. And what is one of the primary ways we can know that we're saved? Do we live like Jesus? If you want assurance in your salvation, regularly throughout John, he will say, I write this that you would know. I write this that you would know. I write this that you would know. I write this that you would know that you're saved. Whoever believes in Jesus Christ, I write this that you would know that if you live like Jesus, then you are a child of God. Look at verse 10 again. This is what John writes. By this, it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. So here it is. There's evidence. What is this evidence? Those who practice righteousness and love others are of the children of God, are children of God. Listen, our conduct matters. Our character matters. Our lives matter. One cannot be a Christian if he does not live like Jesus. Cannot be a Christian if you don't live. Now again, this doesn't mean we're perfect, so don't twist. But we should be growing and increasingly becoming more and more like Jesus. Just as Jesus was born, so when we believe in him, we are born again new. We are made new. We are now made to live like Jesus. 
But Christmas is about the gift of Jesus coming into this world. How do you know you receive this gift? When you come, when you open your presents on Sunday, how do you know the kids have received, how do you know the kids have opened their gifts other than wrapping paper everywhere? They're playing with them, right? They're enjoying them. Sometimes they enjoy the box and wrapping paper more. That's a sign of, of a fall, right? I mean, that's sin. <laughs> we buy these awesome presents and they play with stupid cardboard. That seems to be what happens. But they, they play with the present. They enjoy it. As we have been born again in Jesus, as we've received the gift of Jesus, we enjoy Jesus. The way we enjoy Him is by becoming more and more like Him. So let me ask you, do you live like Jesus? Are you increasingly becoming more and more like Jesus? So let me ask you a few questions here. Do you love His Word? Do you love His Word? Regularly throughout John, He'll say, do you obey the commands? The ones who are children of God obey the commands of God. Do you love to prioritize time every day for the reading of God's Word? Remember, the reason we stand here is because we believe that it's His Word. It's full of authority. It comes from the breath of God. It's good for us. It's for, it gives us life. It strengthens us. It equips us. It's in the Bible. We do what 1 John 3, 1 says. We look at the Father's love for us. It's as you open this Word every day, you're looking at the Father's love. Number two, do you love His bride? Do you love the church? Look, there's a lot of reasons we can come up why we don't love the church, right? Well, they've done this, they've done this, they've done this. We're not perfect people. But one thing God has done, because His seed abides in us, just as He loves us, so what do we do? So we love one another. As He gave Himself for us, what do we do? We give ourselves for one another. Do you love the church? Do you you encourage those in the church now we have several people in the hospital do do we meet their needs do we help them do we encourage them do we hold others accountable and do we seek to be held accountable in our own lives that's a tough one i don't mind holding out someone else accountable but do i want to be held accountable be held accountable number three do you confess and repent when you sin i tell you as i've grown in my faith i i hate my sin more and more when i see that i sin i just I hate it. I hate it when I sin. I'm like, I don't want to do that. I've grown to detest it more and more. I used to be able to rationalize it more, very easily. I can still try to rationalize it, but now I see all the holes in my rationalizing arguments, you know? And I hate my sin. And I know, though, when I confess my sin, the Father is there and He delights in forgiving me. I never confess my sin going, oh, I hope he forgives me. Oh, man, have I done enough good things that now he'll forgive me? No, I can delight in asking for forgiveness because I know he delights in forgiving me. Do you use your money as a means of loving others? I, Chantley, I think, shared greatly. Before, you know, we just love. I just want the gifts, man. That's what I want at Christmas. Let's take a little bit of Jesus, but let's get the gifts. And I think as we grow, we see it's so good to give. It's so good to give. 1 John 3.18 says this. So if you just go a little farther in the book, it says, Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and truth. But God does not say, I love you, and then do nothing for us. If that was the case, there would be no chapter 3, verse 1. Because what would we look at? A word? Well, he says he loves us, but he didn't do anything. 
There'd be no Christmas then. There'd be no Easter. We would not be here right now because there would be no church. There would be no hope. There would be no forgiveness. 1 John 4, 9 says this. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us. So he revealed his love this way. That God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. So just as God reveals his love through action, the sending of his son, so now we reveal our love for God through what? Our actions. As he loves, so we love. As he gives, so now we give. As he is righteous, so now we are righteous. One more thing. I want to point out, because we're children of God, we now have an incredible hope. See, right now we still struggle in sin. Jesus has come on a mission that he would defeat sin and that he would take the chains, the bonds of sin off of us, right? And that's happened, but we still struggle with sin and sometimes we kind of still want to go back into the jail cell of sin. We still want to sometimes put on our old self and live in sin. And so we're now in this in-between time between Jesus' first coming and his second coming where we struggle. But there's a day coming we're told we will no longer sin. And as children of God, we have a very confident hope in this. Look at verse 2. This is where the hope that we have. Verse 2. Beloved, we are God's children now. So that's the present reality. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when He appears, Jesus, we shall be like Him. Why? Because we shall see Him as He is. Christmas is not about Jesus coming to simply improve us. Every year, Apple comes out with a new iPhone. But it's not really new, right? It's just simply like upgraded. In fact, if you've been with Apple long enough... You know, it's just like a little tweak of a few features, and it runs a little faster, and it's a little bit bigger and a little bit better, but in a little bit of time, you're going to need a new one, and you're going to need a new one after this. But Jesus has not come that we would be a little better. He has not come just to make us a lot better. He's come to make us completely new. Completely new. So verse 2 tells us that there's a day coming Jesus is going to appear again. So we live in between the two appearings. Jesus came first time to do what? To remove sin and destroy the works of the devil. He came as the conqueror. He does that through the cross. And now we live in the in-between time where spirit dwells within us. He abides in us that we would practice righteousness. We would continually be made more like him as we wait for the second coming when he will return and what? We will see him perfectly why? Because we will be made like him. It doesn't mean we're going to be Jesus. It doesn't mean like he has all the power, so now we have all the power, and we're now like rival gods. No. But as he perfectly images the Father, so now we will again image the Father. We're not, just as he is righteous, we now, we then will be perfectly righteous. Look at verse 3. Even as we hope in him, meaning as we trust in him, we look forward to his return, it says that we are becoming pure just as he is pure. Look, when we're born again, 
Everything we do is about becoming more and more like Jesus. The way you go to school, the way you wake up, the way you talk to your spouse, the way you do your homework, the way you uh, live at school and work at, don't live at school, hopefully you don't live at school, but the way you act at school, the way you come home, the way you interact with your spouse, the way you do your hobbies, the way you give, all those things are a means of making you more and more like Jesus. And even as we hope in Jesus, we're being purified as He is pure. Isn't that good news? Like Everything in your life, because you've been born again, is that you would become more and more like Jesus. And there's a day coming when the work He began will be completed. That's the hope that we have. The Father has poured out His great love on us so that in everything we do, we become more like Jesus. So as we approach Christmas, I want to encourage us, let's look deeply at the Father's love, that He's made us children of God. Let's look deeply at the Father's love. Let's remember that Jesus came on a mission. He didn't come purposeless. He came with a purpose. The purpose was to make us children of God. The way He does that is by removing sin, destroying the work of the devil, removing all of our disobedience and our lawlessness, that we'd be born again. He has entered into our humanity so that we would enter into his deity becoming like him. Jesus came as the God-man so that we would spend eternity with him. At Christmas, Jesus comes near to us so that one day when he returns again, we will forever be near to him. Do you see that? Like that's what we celebrate. And just as Jesus was born, so by faith in him, we're born again. So, so when you're looking at the tree, and if you have kids, while well, you're talking, today we're celebrating the birth of Jesus. Your thoughts should then also go toward your birth because of Jesus. Do you know that? Like, yes, Christmas is totally about the birth of Jesus. So in no way, just think about yourself. But because we're thinking of the birth of Jesus, that he has come in humanity, that we should share in his deity, we should then think, I've been saved. I've now been born again too. His birth, in a sense, points to the fact that now I've been born again and I'm waiting for Him to come again. So we ought to grow in our joy and our thankfulness. Just as your kids rip open gifts and as they see them, their eyes light up and they're excited. So as we look into the Father's love at the work of the Son, Let's enjoy the gift of Jesus. Let's enjoy what he has done and let's grow in our thankfulness. And know this, as you live like Jesus, not only are you remembering the Father's love, but you are directing the world to look at the Father's love. Do you know that? So this Christmas season, it's beautiful. By your life, by the things that you do, you're pointing people to Christmas and you're pointing people to Easter. You're pointing to them, you're pointing them to the love of the Father. That's why our lifestyle matters so much. When Jesus was here, he pointed us to the Father. And as we live here as ambassadors for God on earth, we point to God through our very lives and our very words. Let us praise the Father for his great love for us. Let us praise God for Christmas, and let us praise God. Jesus has come on a mission. Let's pray this morning as the team makes their way up. Father, we, we praise you for Christmas. You have 
poured out your love on us. You have extravagantly given us your love. You have held absolutely nothing back from us, but you have given us your very Son, that He would come on a mission. And that mission was ultimately that He would die. And it's through His death and His resurrection that He conquers sin, that we could become free and that we would be transferred into your kingdom, into your household, and we would be your children. And now you would dwell in us and we would live a life that pleases you. Oh God, that is good news. Father, I want to look deeply into your love. Lord, I pray as a church we look deeply into your love. Husbands, let us look into, your, into the Father's love as we approach Christmas. Lord, I pray that you would work in us as parents, that we would look into your Father, into your love, that we would direct our children's attention to you. Help us to direct the world's attention to you, that they would see you. And not only during this Christmas season, but in every day that we live, that the world would know that you have given love, and that love comes to us in the person, Jesus Christ.